I'm like 21 years old. I'm 280 pounds. I'm working at a car dealership and a job being an automotive technician, which I did not like at the time, not using my gifts of communication, not using my gifts of, of heart connection. And it was really like a spiritual suicide that woke me up when I was drinking at a party by San Diego State. And I slammed the party cup down. I looked down, dude, and I had this huge belly over my pouring over my waist. And I was just like, God, there's got to be more to life than this. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. Holy moly, what a show. I just had an incredible friend, somebody I gave a business to, and we whipped open Pandora's box for love and enlightenment and connection. We talked about spiritual suicide, the five sides of hell. How do I live my life well? Do you know how to serve from your wounding? Don't allow your wounding to cloud your wisdom. Don't be strategically vulnerable. How the quality of your life is dictated by the quality of your thoughts that you choose to hold on to. How to do an emotional inventory the best emotional exercise that you can ever complete. Vulnerability is curiosity without a jacket on. How to go from mental solitude to mental community. If I can breathe, I can choose. To live is to die and dying isn't that safe because safety is an illusion. Do you know the difference between power and force? What blocks your joy? And a shocking announcement that nobody knows that the entire world got to hear for the first time at the very end of the show plus so much more, lots of tears, connection, and brotherly love. So without further ado, let's get into the show. I am honored today because today I have an incredible friend, an incredible man, an incredible fucking force, which we'll probably talk about the definition of in extent today about what it means. But this man doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. He is the heart. He embodies what it means to be a man, to be a father, to be a leader, to be a giver, leading people for as long as I've known him and someone that I trust with my life so much that I was willing to give a million people in my family to him because of his stand for himself and in the world. And I have a very deep-rooted relationship with today's guest. He is somebody that inspires me every day with his living, with the fabric of his essence and the way that he plays life. And it is a fucking honor and a gift to welcome the incredible Josh Trent to the show. Wow, dude, you you are... That was like the best intro off the cuff I've ever heard before. Nice. Thank you for having me. Mind of George. Bro, it Let's feels go. like so interesting to turn the tables the amount of times you've interviewed me. Yes, yes. Like we've had all these conversations and I was like, bro, we got to do this, man. We have we to. We got to do it. Yeah. I'm so stoked to have you here, man. Me too, man. So much has changed and gosh, so many good things to talk about and so much to honestly be grateful for, like truly grateful for. Since um, we've yeah. really connected last, I think it's been a couple years since we've really connected. Outside of like the occasional bump in and me being blessed to bump into you in my second home, I don't own a home in an Austin. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, man, it, it's incredible. So yeah. just so there's some context, because I feel like of everybody I could ever interview, I know you the most since I trust and loved you enough to be like, here's my baby. You know, but for everybody else listening, uh, I've known you to live many, many lives Mm. and you've done incredible in all of them. And you're in the middle of a new one right now. But for the context of everybody listening, would you mind giving them the story arc of, you know, kind of Josh Trent to land the plane where we are today? Yeah, the story arc came from being born into a parental set where there was a lot of deep contrast. And I think you and all of us can relate to the fact that we choose our parents. At least that's the most empowering viewpoint that I can take because my dad left home when I was super young. My mom was manic bipolar and, you know, without the right mental or physical tools, George, you know, flash forward, I'm like 21 years old. I'm 280 pounds. I'm working at a car dealership and a job being an automotive technician, which I did not like at the time, not using my gifts of communication, not using my gifts of of heart connection. And it was really like a spiritual suicide that woke me up when I was drinking at a party by San Diego State. And I slammed the party cup down. I looked down, dude, and I had this huge belly over my pouring over my waist. And I was just like, God, there's got to be more to life than this. 
I interrupt this very important podcast to give you a very, very awesome piece of news. So I know we're just about to get to a juicy part of the podcast, but I just wanted to interrupt you very shortly. What if there was a way for you to experience what I have to offer you, even if you could not come to the event? What if I could help you, help you generate more revenue and sales faster than you are right now? get you to understand your business and audience better and allow you to see just how valuable it is to come to live events. Would you take that offer? Well, questions have answers and I assume the answer is yes. And so that's why I wanted to share this backstage pass with you. It's the best coverage from our last event and inside the backstage pass, you'll receive a 30 plus page document with all the major takeaways, the action steps, and a summary of each talk given at the live event. You'll get exclusive video content from myself, diving into some of the biggest takeaways from the event, and you'll have access to the guest speaker sessions. We're gonna be tapping into tools such as brand and color psychology with the incredible Michelle Lewis, social media domination with the queen herself, Vanessa Lau. And so I promise that this is the best thing you can do. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Go get the backstage pass. And now back to the regularly scheduled podcast. And I slammed the party cup down. I looked down, dude, and I had this huge belly over my, pouring over my waist. And I was just like, God, there's got to be more to life than this. And it was actually the first time, no breath work or psychedelics needed, that I really felt the presence of God. And it was a, a, my first, I guess you could say, dark night of the soul. I ran home drunk from that party. I opened up my old school HP, like 100 pound computer. And I think I typed in Google, like, how do I be healthy? And then that led me to like Rob Wolf and lots of other people and eventually led me to your work as well. And it came to this point where I was like, oh, I can be a trainer. I can do something different. And I left the auto industry. I moved to Hawaii. Um, I really found health and wellness. Well, I found fitness, which I think is the gateway to wellness. And it was through that journey, man, that I really started to look at the emotional side of my life and really understand what wellness was, which now I know wellness to be a house which has five sides. It's the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial ways that we nourish ourselves, that we feel good about ourselves and our family and our community and our business. So it's been the ultimate journey with like, I gave you the quick arc, you know, cause we're just starting talking. But within that arc, there was probably multiple, three or four big nights, uh, dark nights of the soul. But all throughout it, there's just been this hunger, this question that I've always wanted to answer. And it is, how do I live my life well? How do I live my life well? Because I know that something's possible. And I'm like you, like when I know something's possible, I just go get it. I just do what I need to do to go get it. And so that's the beginning of the story arc. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, it's funny. I feel like we're on the same wavelength because I was just about to ask you anyways, a, a question about what you just alluded to. So in knowing you, and, and I feel like we've probably known each other for like eight or nine years at this point, if I'm like thinking all the way back, I don't remember the first touch point, but it's been a while. But the thing that always comes up for me with you, when somebody says your name, and I'm like, oh my God, it's Josh, whether I'm with Joni or Scott, or whether I'm with Steph, or I'm with, I don't know, one of our 787 mutual friends, that every time somebody says your name, the first thought that always pops into my body is like, I fucking admire that man. Because when he sets his mind to something, I know it's just a matter of time before he has it. And I love that about you and I admire that about you. But what I admire even deeper is that it's all heart-centered and aligned. And I've watched you and experienced you through some pretty big moments in your life that most would consider challenging that would make me want to quit, make me want to keep going. And what I've constantly watched, because I still stalk you religiously like we talk every day, <laughs> is this willingness to just go, but not to go guarded, not to go closed, not to go agendized, not to go in reaction, but how do I bring my heart to this? Like, how do I open up a relationship in this? Like, how mm. do I bring connection in this, even in like the darkest of the times? And it's something that from afar, I admire so greatly about you. But I would love for you to talk about that because, you know, we were talking before the show about becoming a father and the gift that, that is and, the, and yeah. the things that come with that too. Yeah. And I feel like your child gave you a view of how I've seen you, but I feel like I've seen you that way for such a long time. And every time I think about it, even when we had moments, it was like, you always find the heart, you always find the connection and on paper, 
there's not enough evidence to say that that would be the best path to go, but you always find your way back home. And I yeah. think it's this incredible gift, but I also know it's a muscle that you choose to flex every day. And I would love to hear your thoughts about that because I feel like it's probably one of your greatest gifts on this planet. Well, dude, thank you for seeing me. There's so many different ways I could take this. I'll just say it feels good to receive that from you, especially like knowing your past and my past and all the people that are, I guess, connected to us by spiderwebs. There is something yeah. really unique about this path of, I guess you could say the wounded healer. That's probably the best way I could mm -hmm. describe both you and I. That's how I describe mm -hmm. myself because, you know, the wounding that I have experienced in my life and I, you know, who comes up for me right now is, is John Wineland. And yep. with, when his daughter passed, people asked him like a, you know, a year later, like, how do you do, how do you move on? How do you live? And he's like, look, the pain's always going to be there, but we have to be able to learn how to serve from our wounding, not having our wounding cloud, our wisdom, right? We don't want to project our, our wounding onto people. But when John said that it like stuck to my soul. Cause I, I thought about like, man, how many times in my life have I had something occur that happened? That was a neutral event that I attached meaning to that actually held me back from growing that actually held me back from serving more people. And you know, the, the ultimate key to unlock all of this experience for me has been, how do I say the thing that I'm most afraid to share? How do I be vulnerable, but not strategically vulnerable where I, t where I tell everybody in the room, Hey, I'm about to be vulnerable. So you better listen to me. How do I actually be authentically vulnerable without needing attention for it, without needing validation for it and without needing to be acknowledged for it, just because I know that it sets me free. I know that when I tell the truth that my belly feels less tight, I know that when I tell the truth that my heart feels more open. And those are things that I know on a, you know, psycho neuroimmunology level, make me live longer, make me uh, have a good life. And, and that goes back to my initial question, you know, how do I live my life? Well, I think the way that I do it, George, is I'm constantly like, how do I, in every little interaction I have, whether it's like here in the studio, somebody in the elevator or on this pod with you or in our friend groups, or even on my own podcast, like, how do I get to the heart of the matter without forcing it? which is why I had to get rid of the word force. <laughs> I'm no longer yeah. the wellness force podcast host. Cause I'm done forcing shit. Like, you know, mm -hmm. white knuckling and forcing things. It does not create that heart-based connection that you asked about. Um, when I'm white knuckling, when I'm forcing something, there's a subtle energy inside of me that, that shows other people on a, on a low level that I don't trust. I don't trust myself. I don't trust life. And it's impossible to have a really clean, beautiful, strong heart-based connection in moments like that, whether it's in business or life, if on a subtle level, I and other people feel like I don't trust myself or like I don't trust life. And so that's been a huge opening process for me, for the emotional intelligence, for the heart-based connection piece to come online. And look, I still have my work to do. And don't we all? Oh, oh, once you take a bite at the work, the work just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but it's so much greater, greater and greater. Has there ever been a party so though? Has there ever been a party you where you're like, damn, I'm so glad that I took the spiritual path, that I took the path of growth, but also on the journey, I'm sure you've had moments where you're like, shit, I can't go back. <laughs> like once I've, once, oh. once I've gone this far, I can't go back anymore. Bro, I feel like six weeks ago, somebody asked me a question. I was like, I might've chosen the blue pill in this moment, <laughs> just in this moment though, just for this like one time. Yes. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, well, and, and it's interesting too, because yes, it comes up a lot. Uh, you know, I like to say we all have work to do, but I'm like, if the grade is a hundred, I have 2.1% figured out. And by the time I get close to 50, I'm going to realize it's a thousand percent scale, not a hundred percent scale. And I, and I do love that. Mm. But I will say that like my nights out at my fire in my backyard for four hours at night, when I'm sitting there thinking, I make quantum mechanics look easy to understand with the level of depth that I get into my own thinking of all of that moments of just joy. But I also love those moments because I feel like that's what life is about. Mm -hmm. It's having the space and presence to be willing to explore those and not attach meaning to them, but then have a childlike curiosity about what I pretend to know that none of us really do know, but in my curiosity of knowing allows me to find joy and presence and meaning just to give some validity to the impact that I make every day. Yeah. And, and, so, yeah. and obviously like if you didn't have that space to like, to feel what it is you're saying, or if you didn't come from the contrast 
where you came from, maybe you wouldn't have the verbal fluency you have. Maybe you wouldn't have the gifts and the talents and the skills that you have. But it's, I think it's easy for me and all of us to be like, oh, you know, I'm slipping into victim mode or why is it so hard? Or, you know, these, these, our society is built, George, as you know, to cater to people that want to be a victim. And this isn't about shaming people. I'm not, I'm not going to sit in your podcast and shame people because I've been that person. And I think all of us get stuck in this loop of like, I wish things were easier. I wish that money would just flow to me. I wish that it was easier in my relationship. I wish that working out didn't feel the way it did, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if that's anything different for anyone else. I think all of us have these thoughts and all of us have these Mm -hmm. feelings and these emotions. But what I like to do is I like to just let them float by like a leaf on your fireplace in the back. You know, like I notice the thought, I, I see it come by. I'm like, okay, hello. If the thought becomes intrusive, I have a process to clear that. But really all these Mm -hmm. thoughts, like they are, especially with our friend, Scott Jackson, I'm about to do his rewire event, um, coming up here at the end of the month. And I'm just, the more and more I interview people and the more and more that I'm in our world, man, I just get this overwhelming awareness that the quality of my life is dictated by the quality of how much I let go of thoughts that don't love me. I just let go of the thoughts that don't love me because why would I ever want to attach and grab and swallow and digest the thought? that is not loving for me or not loving for someone else. And I'm not batting a thousand, but all I'm saying is like, why would I choose to consciously do that? Now the unconscious work is what we're all still doing, but on a conscious level, at least we can be at that place. At least we can be in that place of humility. Like, okay, all these thoughts I'm thinking, they're not actually mine all the time. And a lot of these thoughts actually come from the collective. So there's a lot there, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, bro. And I go down, I was at, uh, I was in Denver with Brian Bogart, a friend of mine the other day, and we keynoted together and then we went outside and we did like a quick meditation together and we just started talking. And four hours later, we were still talking and we were so deep down the rabbit hole of like, what does a word mean? Because we defined a word Mm. and where did that word come from and what is a word? And what I love so much is like my curious curiosity and willingness to play with that. The longer I do this and the more work I do, my default state now is I have no clue, but I'm willing to play with it. I have no clue, but I might as well try it on for size. And to give Nako some credit with great spirit, I feel like it keeps me in the bucket of like, which wolf do I want to feed? Yes. And it's so easy to fall into that trap of like storytelling and rumination and evidence collection. And on the inverse, I've even found that when I'm, I'm doing work or I'm having clarity, I had a very wise shaman say this to me from Columbia a couple of years ago. He said, the moment you think, you know, you no longer know. Mm. And it struck me and we, we got into this really deep conversation about it. And he's like, because the moment, you know, you go from your heart to your head and you're no longer being the thing that you're analyzing. Yeah. And it's been this like dissonance that's lived in my head that I love so much because now when I find myself in thought, even when they're positive thought, even when they're like, oh, this was incredible. Or I just wrapped my event and I facilitated that breath work. I realized the moment that I'm analyzing what's there, I'm no longer being with the gifts that I was given. Mm-hmm. And this has carried so much weight in my marriage, in my family, in my business, in my relationships, because it truly just allows me to keep finding the now and come back to it with just like this innocence and curiosity of like, I really don't know. I'm not going to sit here to pretend that like, I read that book or did that book or had that distinction or that awareness. And it's fun. Like, I will say that like, it's fucking fun. I've never danced with my shadow so much and enjoyed the dance because I'm like, could be mine. Couldn't be mine. Could be good. Could be bad. Yes. But every time I'm putting or thinking it's no longer happening anyway. So how do I get back into the moment? You know, it's really interesting. That's been kind of like, I I love what you said about when you think, you know, you don't, because I heard Alan Watts say something very similar. And he's like, if there was one guy, George, that I'd love to podcast with, it would be Alan Watts. Yeah. Oh my God. He's not here anymore. Right. He's not on the planet anymore. So I'm like, but if there was, I would love to have him and I would love to have like Carl Young or maybe even like you and Scott and Stephanos all at a table. Can you imagine that kind of a podcast? Because Alan Watts said, Bro. you know, the, the, the thing is like, when you think, you know, the Brahmin, which is like the, the all encompassing God, when you think, you know, the Brahmin, you do not. But when you, when you think you don't know the Brahmin, you do. And I think that's really interesting yes. because 
a lot of us that have certainty, I know in the times in my life where my ego and my mind, my unintegrated part of my ego has convinced me that something's true. I usually get slapped in the face later on because my certainty wasn't coming from my true awareness, which is my subconscious mind and my body. It wasn't coming from that space. It was coming from a place in my mind that, that honestly just wanted to be safe or wanted to be recognized as knowing his shit or something like that. Yeah. And I, I've, I've been working on a process and the process is this wellness kaleidoscope. And I feel like we all deal with this where our mind takes over, our heart's trying to lead, and our soul, a lot of people get triggered by that word, but I, I recognize the soul as just really like the connection to God, the connection to a creator. That's what brings our soul into the world. And so how do we combine the mind, the heart, and the soul without them being at war with one another? I think it really comes down to an emotional inventory process where if I'm having an experience in life where I'm receiving a huge trigger or I'm going through pain or I'm crying or I'm having like an emotional distressing moment, can I first use my breath work? which is huge and shout out to my own program on your pod, dude. It's a, it's a shameless plug breathwork.io. It's a program. Plug it away, bro. It's, it's a program plug that it like, it's, it's my heart and soul. Like I worked on it for almost a year and a half after I came back from the jungle, I actually bought the, you don't know this. I don't think I told you this. I bought breathwork.io on the very last night of ceremony, the second year I went to there. And so, oh wow, yeah. So I, I knew that my, my time with ayahuasca was complete, but I, but I felt something really beautiful and honestly really powerful about breath work because I realized it was the only thing that could really help me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to master this. So I traveled the world and I, and we can talk about that story. But, but what I was saying is like, you know, we, we have, we have a lot of things that come up for us in life and they, they're very emotionally distressing things. How do we connect the mind to the heart and the soul so that we're not like at war with ourselves for so long in my life, dude, I was at war with myself. I was not sure with my words. I was not sure with my business. I was not sure with anything. And so the process really that I came up with is you get a piece of paper. It's actually quite simple. You like black and reds? I do. Okay. I do. So you get a black and red and on the black and red, you, you draw a line down the center and on one side of the journal, you put 10 things that are truly, truly causing you pain. Like, and, and not just like, oh, I wish things were better. Like do a breathwork practice, get still, really feel like you're in a place of solitude, of non-distraction, phone is off, you know, whatever, whatever everyone with us, whatever you guys like to do, like just do that to make yourself still. Then on the other side of the journal, write 10 things that you are truly, truly grateful for things that you feel like maybe for us, it's our children or maybe for, maybe for all of us, hopefully it's our children. Maybe it's our partner. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our um, community garden, who knows? Right. And then after you do that inventory process, take another breath or, or 20 breaths and circle the one on the left that, you know, is causing you the most pain out of all 10, now that you've actually gotten the garbage out of your mind and put it onto a piece of paper, circle the one that you know in your heart of hearts is causing you the most pain, the thing that actually hurts you the most. And then on the other side, if you had to pick one, and this is a really hard exercise for a lot of people, if you had to pick one thing that you were the most grateful for, what would that be? So for me, I would circle Nova, I would circle my son. And then this is the key, it's this act of, of vulnerability, which is really vulnerability is curiosity without a jacket on. And so I'm, I'm going to reach out to a friend or if I'm, you know, if someone's working with George as a client or if someone's working with me as a client or anyone, they would reach out to a coach or a mentor or a friend and they would ask for permission. They would say, Hey, George, I've done an emotional inventory today. My life is in a big transition. Is it okay if I share something with you? And then you'll know right away based on that person's response, if they're safe enough to share it with, because we have to be cautious about who we share our life with, especially our intimate emotions. Mm -hmm. And I would say, Hey, I, I did this inventory. I realized that out of these 10 things, this one thing is causing me the most pain. And I realized that I'm doing this for my son, or I'm doing this change for my wife, or I'm doing this change for, for whatever that reason is. And then that's it. That's all you have to do. Just in the power of you sharing that with a coach or a friend or a mentor, it's so potent because that person can then say, well, how can I support you? How can I support you in doing that? And by when, by when would you like to change that? And it actually, George, it gets the wheels in motion so that somebody's not trapped by the victimhood of their mind. And the key is we're taking people out of mental solitude and we're putting them into mental community. And when we put people into mental community, oh my God, like I just feel that in my whole body when I'm telling you that. When we put people into mental community, 
it takes off the shackles that we've put on ourselves because we watched our dad and our mom and our grandparents do it. And it ain't our fucking fault. Bro, that alone, I gotta, I gotta share this because I just taught this at the event. I, I think you'll appreciate this. But uh, when, so you know, my whole branding's a lighthouse now, right? You know, yes. so I, I think you were with me. Yeah, yeah. When I wrote this, with this mission statement, yeah. when I had no meaning in my life. The lighthouse is what, is, it just, it just stands there and shines light. People come around when they're ready. Yeah. And so when I wrote this, that mission statement I wrote was to stand with structure in the face of resistance to create possibility. And that became mm. the guiding light for my life from that time when we were in Costa Rica. And in this whole lighthouse thing, and this whole analogy thing, I realized, and, and I'm going to ask you a question about this. So I realized that my biggest struggle was the internal game, the war of the worlds inside my brain, right? The ego yeah. versus the shadow versus the light versus boom. But I finally found a point in my life where I was just addicted to the rumination because I didn't know where the doorknob was to get out of it. And the more I would get deeply rooted, the more I would be stuck because I was just collecting more and more evidence to validate whatever narrative was going on in my brain. And I've had moments in my life where like I've stood on stage and shared things I was afraid to share and it equaled freedom. And so I was like, okay, I'm a pretty simple creature, right? There's only three colors of crayons in my box, black, white, and pink. But the pink one requires a little bit of work. And so I was like, how can I make sure that I can collapse what I call the zone of doubt as fast as possible? So I came up with the SOS method, right? And I teach this at my event. And the inner circle is what I call inner tools. The next circle is what I call inner circle. And then the third circle is what I call the outer circle. So the inner tools are anything that you can do with you, yourself, and I in under a minute to bring you back home, to bring you to your foundation, to bring you back to your roots, or to get you back on the light. Breath work, music, dancing, a static, any, anything on those lines but then with the inner circle i choose nine people and they're the top nine contacts on my iphone mm. and there's one rule with these people these people are the people who will hold me at my potential and not listen to my story and when i put them in my top nine i let them know hey you're in my top nine if i ever text you or call you and it starts with sos you have one rule no story just feelings no story, just feelings, because I realized that the shorter I can shrink that gap between rumination and getting it into existence, like into the world or out of my head, the faster it's all neutralized. And so when you're sharing yeah. this, I'm like lighting up because we just did this wow. for the entire week. But I actually want your perspective on this. I love that. Because man. you and I have a lot of similar things in common. We both have stories and parents and things that we've both been through and some very and we both weigh 280 pounds. We share the fat kid syndrome occasionally as well, right? Yeah, yeah. But I would say that one of my biggest breakthroughs came when I realized that my level of healing didn't have to match the level of trauma that caused it. And for years, and I mean at least a decade, I had myself so programmed and convinced that because I watched people die or because I did horrible things or because I was sexually abused that I couldn't feel better in one day. It couldn't just be as simple as a breath. It couldn't mm. just be as simple as EMDR. And it feels like it took me almost a decade of suffering through that. But I would love to hear your perspective because it's something I share so frequently now with people. But I love people that have had experiences and embody the work and do the work to hear like what that journey was like for you. Because you know, for me, it was a breathwork session or an EMDR that released so much and I felt so whole, but I didn't believe it to be true. So after I would start collecting evidence to dig it back in yes, and dig it back in. Yes. And so I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Wow. I really, really resonate with the phrase collecting evidence. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, even whether people do, I'll speak from my own journey and I'll also speak to probably many people that are here with us. When we experience a peak state like a Tony Robbins or even people going to one of your events or people doing a holotropic breath session or even the private clients I work with with breath work or the 25 people that I took through just a basic breath as prayer at the paleo conference, people get to this peak state where they've turned down the volume of their default mode network. And as you know, the default mode network, it's, its main job is to like ruminate you in the past or project you in the future because of anxiety and lack of trust. So turning down the default mode network through breath work, through psychedelics. And honestly, for me, um, a Vipassana changed my life in 2016, just doing a 10 day silent retreat, 
these are things that I've felt, I've touched God, I've touched peace, I've touched love at times, but it like didn't really stick. And even now it's something that I'm still working on, right? Like what evidence am I collecting? I think a, a massive turning point for me happened after I came back from Rhythmia, after I got deeper into breath work, I went on this trip to Thailand. And in Thailand, I trained with a guy named Niraj and he does breath work with Soma breath. And I did this month long intensive. And there was this moment on like, I don't know, I don't know, day number 10 or something, something like in the middle of the trip where I was laying outside and I was just noticing like nature takes its time. There, there's no, there's no rush in nature. It takes its time. Well, if I, if I'm on my podcast talking about how we are nature, George, and how intelligence lives in me, then why am I not embodying it? Why, why is it not something that's sticking for me? And it's because just like you said, I had become addicted to this chemical soup that I was swimming in. And the addiction was in order for me to feel alive, in order for me to feel awake in general, I would have to be slamming caffeine, going through some kind of drama in my life, having fights, having craziness go on so that I could quote, feel alive. But you know what I really wanted to feel? I just wanted to feel this. <sighs> I just wanted to feel what it was like to, to be safe enough in my body where I could like breathe with my belly sticking out and not feel ashamed, where I could fill up my body with oxygen and be okay with people watching me do it. And so I, I actually forced myself to, to go back to that word. I forced myself to create the breathe program. I forced myself to do the work. I, sometimes we have to force ourselves to, you know, because to quote the Terminator, anger is more powerful than despair. And sometimes like you have to be so angry that, that that's what gets you over despair. But anger for me has, mm -hmm. has never been a sustainable fuel source, nor is it for any of us because anger comes with a price, right? Anger has a lot of off gassing. When we mash down the gas pedal on the car, it's like, well, you're going to have to fill up the tank eventually. So mm -hmm. I got to this point after 2018 doing breath work for two years where when I came out with the program and I really felt like, wow, this is something from my heart that actually will help people. And it has. I mean, like you look at our page and you look at all the things that are happening, like people are loving it because it's so basic. It's so clean. It's so simple. It's just a circle, a box or a breath hold retention. And that's it. And, and the reason why it works is because I went through it myself and it was something that really made a difference for me. You know, tattooed on my arm is se posso respirare, posso scegliere. And what that means in Italian is if I can breathe, I can choose. So if I can remind myself to take a breath when I'm triggered, if I can remind myself to take a breath when I'm angry or when I'm dysregulated, especially as a father, man, I know that's something we want to jam about. If I can breathe, I can choose. I can choose, George. I can fucking choose to be loving. I can get out of the slavery of my default mode network. And I can't do psychedelics all the time because it doesn't work for me. Some people it does. Well, I, I, would, I would say it probably doesn't work for them either. But breath is yeah. always there for us. And it's something where it's like one, three, five, or seven minutes. It can always, to quote you, bring us back home. It can always bring us back home if we have the courage and the remembrance to do it. So I would say, you know, long answer to your short question. Your question was like at the core of it all, what are the things that can actually bring you back to, to you, to yourself? Mm -hmm. And how do we get out of this circular looping monkey mind craziness? Well, we do it not by fighting the thoughts, not by getting rid of the thoughts. We do it by actually just watching them float by and, and choosing to not attach to them and giving ourselves love and compassion when we stumble and do attach to them. Because then that shortens the cycle of recommitment. Then it's just one big long loop instead of a bunch of peaks and valleys. So that's, Bro, that's my thoughts I on what you shared. I probably hand out 30 cups of coffee today to the different parts of my shadows. And I'm like, you take a cup, you take a cup, you take a cup. Let's just have a cup of coffee. Yes. What are you here to teach me? What are you here to teach me, right? I'm dishing out Americanos all day, bro. And I'm like, oh, there you are. Okay, let's have an Americano because I'd Welcome like back. to listen. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm taking it on, but I'd like to listen to why you're here. And what I've found is that as simple as this sounds, even naming them and giving them a cup of coffee neutralizes most of the thoughts. Mm. It neutralizes most of the evidence. It neutralizes most of the charge. Yeah. The trap that I fell into as an entrepreneur, and you knew me during this phase, is that um, one of the things I say now is that entrepreneurship is the most dangerous drug that exists because with my life and, and, and I would love your thought, I'm just fucking soaking up all your wisdom right now because we're catching up at the same time. Yeah. And 
one of the things that I would, I would start to fall into is that um, I was so addicted to chaos because chaos was my comfort zone. Not because I was actually comfortable, but there was always something to do to escape being. And it took me years to realize mm. that what, what I was avoiding was that I didn't know how to be with myself. I didn't know how to sit in silence. I couldn't be in silence for more than a minute. I'd start shaking. I'd start mm. because I was so conflicted with my internal dialogue that then I would just recreate chaos. Things would work in business, make a million dollars and give me 90 days and I'm gonna piss it all down the toilet because I, I need to do it again. I need to find a place to hide to escape myself. And, and one of the things I said to one of my students is, it was so funny for me that uh, I spent my entire life neglecting the one person I'm guaranteed to spend the rest of my life with, which was me. And I never really knew how to be with me. And even when, earlier when we talked about like strategic vulnerability, yeah. right? Or my favorite is let me be authentic with you. I used to say that shit. I, yes, I, I remember what, that. What, yes. What, what yeah. you probably heard was, oh, this guy's about to fucking lie to me. Mm. Because <laughs> the moment I say, let me be authentic, I'm no longer being authentic, right? Or Lindsay's yeah. favorite. Lindsay's favorite. We'd start talking. She'd ask me a question. I'm like, well, can I be honest? And she's like, what, have you been lying to me for the last 10 fucking years? Of, co of course you can be honest, right? And so I want to edify and echo a lot of the things that you said, because, you know, we've, we've both ridden our peaks and valleys. And I want to talk about force for a second, because yes, yes, my whole game was, well, the only way to get what I truly want is to force it, to control it, to manipulate it, to, to really make sure that I gave myself this illusion of safety which in actuality was just a big dissonant lie that I was creating with myself because there was no control, but then I would get wrapped up into that trap, right? And it's like when you're on full tilt in poker, you just add more and add more and add more, think you're going to get your way out. And it's because I was forcing everything. And, and, and I'd say the funniest fucking thing, um, this is from a book or story, you've heard this before, but it's probably one of the best distinctions I've, I've ever heard. And now my favorite thing to say is someone's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, ah, uh, I can't call it yet. Ah, uh, I can't call it yet. Like, I don't know. Because every time I fall into that default of like, I know, or I'm certain, or I'm sure, that is a guaranteed crash down a truck offway ramp into nowhere good. Mm. And it's taken a lot of practice, but I say that I'm still dancing with my shadow of force. And I have a lot more awareness of it now. But when you explained to me before this show, like what force actually means yeah. and the illusion of control that as somebody who owns eight companies now and has massive teams, it's such an easy trap to fall into. But I feel like every time I fall into that trap, the collateral damage and the residue that sticks around creates permanent undesirable results. Yeah. And it's such a powerful definition. So I would love for you to share why it is no longer wellness force and like yeah. what that distinction and breakthrough was for you. Yeah. It, you know, thank you, man. It really reminded me about what you had shared about civilized caveman, about how you knew that it didn't serve you anymore. And you knew that there was something else out there for you. And that's honestly what wellness force was for me. You know, I started wellness force in 2015 when I was broken, mm -hmm. I had just put my mom in a mental home. I had broken up with my woman I, I was thought I was going to be with, and I had gotten fired from a quote safe job, which we know there is absolutely no such thing as safety in the world. It doesn't exist, right? To live is to die and dying ain't that safe. So safety is a fucking illusion. But really, when you look at the etymology of the word force, right? And you look at the etymology of the word power, and one of the great books for this is letting go from Hawkins and also power versus force. And he talks about this way before I, it's funny. I read this book probably in 2016 and it took me until 2022 to really put it into place. But he said like the core difference between power and force is that force happens from a place of just raw, uh, raw energy, raw, unbridled, unintegrated energy, like a cyclone or a tsunami or a tidal wave or um, yelling at your spouse or making people do exactly what you say. None of that stuff has what's, what's really missing from all of that is trust. What's really missing from all of that is peace. What's really missing from, from force is allowing God, allowing the mystery of life, great spirit, allowing 
higher intelligence, creator, whatever word you want to put on the thing that created all of us, the omnipresent energy that loves and guides all things, that's what's missing when people go into 100% force. You're forcing, by forcing life, you're forcing out mystery. You're forcing out mm -hmm. God. And for me, what that looked like was weight gain, stress, broken relationships, business floundering, because I told myself a story. And the story was money, money is evil. People can't be trusted and expect the worst to happen. Those were three stories that I had told myself. And that's how I started Wellness Force in 2015. And it was the very first time I had ever spoken. It was at Sean Croxton's mastermind in like 2018. I, yeah. I told that story. And I was Good like, and I was like, yeah, those, those beliefs, they're still in me actually. And they're still in me right now, by the way. But I've learned mm -hmm. to, as you say, dance with them. I've learned to like love and accept them for the mm -hmm. wounds that, that they were lashed upon and inflicted upon me so that I could be here and, and actually support my life and support my family and do the things that I'm doing. But, but I don't do that fuel source. I'm not fed by a fuel source of forcefulness, of force. I'm fed by a fuel source that has more wisdom and more peace. And that is a fuel source of power because people with yeah. power have peace. And that's the kind of energy that can be trusted. You don't trust people that have forcefulness, like, like what's happening right now in Russia and what's even what's happening with our own government. You, you know, you see like Biden sitting on a stage with like red lights behind him talking to a crowd that they paid to be there. I mean, none of this is anything more than a dog and pony show. And it's created from a place of forcefulness from a place where mm. subtly, let's be honest, man, we all know when someone's trying to force us to do something and we fucking hate it. We fucking hate when somebody's trying to force us to do something because it's not coming from a genuine place. It's coming from a place where the leader themselves are scared of the result. And the only way they can mash it forward is by applying more gasoline and more brute force. So what happened for, for me to, to answer your question, what happened for me <laughs> is there's lots of layers to this story, dude. So, so at the end of 2021, Carrie and I were, we did a mushroom journey and we're laying on the living room floor. And I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm in integrity with my show anymore. I don't feel like I'm in integrity mm -hmm. with my business. Like something's got to give here. And she turns to me and she's like, well, what is it? And I'm like, it's just this, this word force. I don't like it anymore. I, I don't like the word force in my branding. It's just not who I am anymore. And she's like, well, what about wisdom? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, that's it. That's it. So now, so I, I, you know, on two 22, February 22nd, um, I, I burned the house to the ground. I burned down wellness for us. I opened up joshtrent.com. The podcast is now the wellness and wisdom podcast. And it just feels like when I tell you that, man, like when I share it with you, it just feels so good. I'm like, finally, I'm home. You know, I feel like my whole life I've been searching. Like, where is home? Where the fuck is home? Like, wh wh where, where does home actually live? You know, does it live in me? Does it live outside of me? And, and so that's, that's how I would define force is force is in the absence of the mystery and the love of God. Power is in the respect and the admiration and the wisdom of the love of God, of creator. Bro. And I want to, I want to take a moment just on my show to, to publicly acknowledge you. And I've talked about this on the show a few times, but you know, people still come up to me all the time and they're like, what happened with civilized cavemen? Yes. What happened? And, and since I'm with the man himself, I'm going to tell everybody what happened. I was in Costa Rica at said spot, Josh and I mentioned all the time called Rhythmia. And I was sitting with mother ayahuasca actually being quiet enough to hear God's whispers for the first time in my life. And I had the same moment where I felt like I built this entire world under the premise of loving people because I really wanted to love people. I really wanted to give people what I never received. Yeah. But I was doing it while advocating loving myself. And it was self-sacrificial and it caused a lot of collateral damage. And so I sat there and one night, my last night in Costa Rica, I just surrendered and I asked and I said, what should I do? And the only thing that popped into my brain on Yahe was you. And I'm probably about to cry, which is all welcome here. And I sat with it and sat with it and it didn't make sense to me. It didn't, it didn't resonate with me. And before I called you, I only called two people. I called my best friend and I called my wife and I told them what I thought and what my vision was. And they were like, no, you're crazy. You know, 
you can sell it, you can do whatever. And I was like, no. And I hung up the phone and I sat there for eight hours on the beach before I took the airport shuttle back to come home. And I was like, I can't monetize a part of my story. I can't sell it. I can't disrespect it. There's a community, there's people, there's everything. And in that moment, in that fucking bus ride back, and the twins drove me because the driver was out. So I got to spend time with more of the loving twins at Rhythmia. If you ever go, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And um, I realized on that drive, Josh, that when you popped into my head, it was a permission slip for me for the first time in 35 years of my life to do something for me and only me, regardless of what the rest of the world thought. And in 35 years of my life, I'd never remembered ever making a choice only for me. Mm. And so for everybody listening, I literally called Josh. I texted him and said, hey, do you have a minute? <laughs> He's like, yeah. I was at the airport in Austin. I remember the call. Austin, you had just gotten to Austin. And you said, yeah. And I called you and I didn't even prep it, but I was like, I'm about to hit you with a Mac fucking truck of like, what is happening? And I said, hey, man, this came to me. I love these people. You're the only person that popped into my brain and somebody who can love them, who can nurture them, who can care for them that fits in. I'd like to give you the company and I want to just be gone <laughs> and just be gone. And you said yes. And I will tell you publicly that that catalyst probably saved my fucking life. Mm. Like you saying yes, probably saved my life because I deleted social media. I changed my phone number. I changed my email and I fell off the face of the earth that everybody saw for three years, but I fell into my life. I fell into my family. I fell into myself. I fell into my friends. And it's exactly, exactly what I needed for me to be where I am today. And so just for everybody listening and for you, from the bottom of my fucking heart, just thank you for being you. Man, you. George, you're gonna make me cry, dude. Um, Because it's easy yeah. to say, like, I gave Josh Caveman. It's easy to say, like, oh, I gave it to Josh Trent. But I didn't just give it to you. I trusted you with my life and my family. And it's just a testament to the man that you always were for me in some of my dark times and deep hotel conversations as I was figuring out my own shadows and own bullshit. Yeah. And yeah, I've thanked you, but never from the place where I am now. Like that's a top three moment in my life. Man. Mm. Well, I'm honored and that your I willingness to say, yeah, I'm honored that I got to be a part of that, man. What an honor that I got to be a part of your story like that. Um, whoa. So, so just thank you. Yeah. Like, thank you. Like you, it's there. There's, there's some deep emotional soul ties that are never going to go away. And, yeah. and I think about it all the time because I get messages and I get people making my recipes and they're like, I love it. And I'm like, oh, it just makes me so happy. And it allowed me to write a conclusion of a book that I thought needed another chapter, Yeah, but it needed to be put on the shelf. And so just want to say thank you. Hey man, it feels so good to receive that from you again for like the fifth yeah, time buddy. on your show. Um, That's okay. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll probably say it until the day I die <laughs> when I'm 110 and you'll hear it and hear it and hear it. And so this is actually perfect though, because it, it, it leads me to probably my final question for us to lend this plane. But I asked you before the show, like, what would you be sad if I didn't ask you? Yeah. And you talked about, you know, becoming a father, but, but your nervous system and learning how to regulate your nervous system. And I've learned a lot of lessons as a father. And being a father has made me one of the greatest entrepreneurs that I could ever measure myself against, like myself, because it's taught me so much. And I feel like one of my biggest challenges for so long was that I didn't know how to be with myself. Mm. I didn't know how to allow my nervous system to function. I didn't know how having emotions was human, right? I thought numb was the secret, right? Combat, war, trauma. And I lived like that for so long and, and, and parenting Branson um, and my daughter and, and being in that space has unlocked a lot and allowed me to really heal my inner child and really like love. But you were so powerful and I watch you raise your child and I watch what you post and I watch what you share and you are like the fucking walking embodiment of what a father should be. And I love that about you. And I know you have some deep lessons and some deep, profound wisdom. And yeah. so I would just like to open the floor for you to riff because I'm just going to soak it all in. Man, you got some depth as always, George. Thank you, dude, for that tee up. 
I'll tell you, like being a, being a father is something I always wanted, but I wasn't ready for it. I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, when I look back, I, I was saying that I wanted to be a father, but my actions and my words, they, they were not in congruence. And it wasn't until that, that last ceremony, by the way, at, at our place that I, I looked in the bucket. I will never forget this moment. I looked in the bucket mm-hmm. and there was a face. It wasn't Nova's face, but there was a baby's face in that bucket. And I'm high as balls. I mean, I'm like literally in like a 17th dimension or something. <laughs> and I, and I realized that, that all the pornography I had been watching, all the women I had slept with, all the things that my soul always was nudging me and sometimes yelling at me to not do the addictive behaviors, they were all coming out. And guess what? When we process stuff, yeah, it doesn't have to be long, but it's going to be painful. And I had to look at all the micro trauma that I had done to myself by watching some very disgusting pornography, being a porn addict for over 20 years. And it wasn't through anything else than the grace of God and also the grace of Carrie, the woman of my, the mother of my child that allowed me to heal and actually earn the right to become a father. I don't think all men should be gifted the right to become fathers. I really don't. I know on a, on a biological level, it's like, okay, you insert the P and the V and then hopefully it happens. But, but really like in order for us to earn the sacred responsibility of being a true father. And when I say true, I mean whole healed, or at least committed to healing. There has to be a massive permission slip written that says, I believe that I am worthy of this and I am so grateful for the opportunity to be a father and anything else, any thought forms, any darkness, any past trauma that comes up and tries to block that knowingness that I mentioned, that has to go. And so for me, that was the process of like puking in the bucket, seeing the baby's face. That was like, when I got home, I went through, I went through some stuff. I'll just, I'll just put it lightly getting lots of healing out there from Anahata in Sedona, doing a lot more breath work, doing a lot more things that got me to a place now where like when I, when I hold my boy and when I get to be with him and when I get to like, just experience the magic that is Nova, that is my son, like it, it is just, I mean, I can like feel it in my heart just talking to you right now about Mm -hmm. it, right? Like it's just so beautiful and my words actually don't do it justice. Um, what it's been for me becoming a father has been the ultimate crucible. And by crucible, I mean, it is a place where I bring all of myself because that's what he deserves, but it's also what he demands. And it's also what Carrie deserves as well. And what she demands, she deserves all of me. And by all of me, I mean, my light and my dark, my, my suitcase filled with stuff that I'm still cleaning out my heart that is big and loving and wants connection and wants to do things and wants to go on trips and all the things. And, and I think with that, they feel that from me. I think my woman and my son and and all of us as men that get gifted with this gift of being a father, we arrive and we've done so much work to get there. And we're so committed to continuing to doing that work that our people and our family and our community can just, they can sense it from us. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, remember earlier when I was saying like, you, you ever just feel like that tension in your body and, and on a, on a low level, people can feel it from you. It's like, you don't trust mm-hmm. yourself. Well, when mm-hmm. you do commit to being a father and when God is gracious enough to gift you a father, I mean, it's so fucking sacred, George, look at how many men try to become fathers and they never can be fathers. Right. So for us to be fathers, it's like, it is, it is the most beautiful thing in this world. There is nothing in my life that is actually more important that means more to me that I would fight for, die for, scrap for, love hard for, fall in a pit of blood and like swim around for. I mean, I would do anything. I would do anything mm-hmm. for my son, anything. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, in juxtaposition, the last thing I'll share, it brings up this, man. My father has still not made any effort to see my son. And my father has not made any gesture to make peace with me. And so that's a lot of the work that I've had to do and that we all, I think have to do that have father wounds to be able to get to a place where my wounding with my dad does not cloud my love for my son. And I don't project my wounding from my own father onto him. And that's something I'm still committed to. 
And I think I'll just let the mic drop there because that's the eternal work for all men. I think all men in some way, big or small, capital T, lowercase t, have some trauma or some healing to do around their father. I will, I will acknowledge as I've reparented myself about 1,764,000 times in a matter of five and a half it years. It might be more, sure dude. You probably have done it more than that. It might, yeah. it, it might be more, man. Oh, I have the moments in my brain. I have all of them. Yeah. It's, there's one particular story when I was in Temecula and in that house, I'll never forget. I was gifted with the, I was gifted with the ability to see what trauma looks like and not have it take hold. And I started to truly understand epigenetics mm. um, at a very, very deep level. So I'm sitting in my office. Branson's probably 20 months, like 21 months, not even two yet, right? So he'd always like run into my office when I was doing podcasts, right? He'd pick up all my crystals off my desk. And I'll never forget this. Uh, Jesse Krieger gifted me this lapis ball. It was beautiful. It was on my desk. And Branson picked it up. And he was walking around the room, like stumbling toddler, right? Like counterbalancing everywhere. And he walks over to my wall and it slips out of his hand. And when it slips out of his hand, it hits the plug in my wall and it breaks the plate of the plug and the plug. And I have no reaction whatsoever. None. I was just kind of smiling. He didn't look at me. He looked at the brokenness and then immediately broke down, like in crying, like I did something wrong. I did it wrong. Mm. Like I let somebody down yeah. and I saw my entire childhood flash before my eyes. And I was like, I have about one second to love him, to acknowledge that it's okay. Or else this becomes a program that lives on in his life that he can do something bad and wrong. That is the only story on my about page on my website, because it was such a big moment for me. And I've had hundreds of those moments of just watching this like innocent vessel of just pure fucking light of joy, yeah. of love, of humor, of connection, of compassion. And I literally saw in that moment generational trauma mm. because that's my story. That was my story. That was my father's story. That was my uncle's story. And I watched it passed on. And I remember I went over to him and he looked at it and I held him and I said, I love you. It's perfect. And then I broke another piece and I was like, oops, daddy did it too. And then I called my wife in the room. And she came in and we just acknowledged him. We are so brave. You carried the ball. You're so strong. Mm. Now I'm living with the most confident five-year-old I've ever met in my life. But it is a very evidential touch point of like how our work matters so much. Yes. Like the work that we're willing to do with ourselves mm. is the work that really creates ripples that we can't measure. Well, that's, that's and, why he can lead people in a hula hoop on a stage now. Bro, bro, I will send you the video as soon as we're yes. done. It is it blows my mind. I'm not joking. That's amazing. So everybody listening, we just wrapped our event. It was unicorn fucking level. I can't even tell you what happened because I was just the one that got to facilitate, but everybody's magic comes in. But my son, not on the schedule, my wife comes by the event to say hi. I'm literally teaching to 70 entrepreneurs after I finish them with breath work. I'm talking about distinctions and breakthroughs. And he runs into the room, puts his hand on my arm because he knows not, he doesn't interrupt. And then I touched his hand. And I said, yes, buddy. And he whispers in my ear, it's like, it's time for everybody to have a hula hoop contest. Now, my five-year-old grabs a hula hoop with a room collectively income-wise of like $500 million and walks up on stage, turns on a microphone by himself and says, all right, everybody's going to hula hoop. And then I looked at him and I said, well, what's the prize? He's like, well, dad, you're going to give them money. And I was like, what? How much money? And he's like, $100 unprompted like unprompted yeah. so then he puts the mic down tells everybody to stand up and uh he puts the hula hoop on and he wins he has an adult size hula hoop and no the adults didn't let him win he just kept going and going yeah. he looked like elvis on the stage like shaking his hips yes and then he dropped it at, he was the last one and he's like i was one i won but i was bored i could have stopped any time but thank you and then he said dad where's my money Oh and then he God. took money. I gave him a hundred dollar bill. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to go get a cookie. And mommy and I are going to a birthday party and just ran out of the room. And that was it. Like that was the whole moment, bro. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my life. You know why that moment for me is so special? Because I think about, like you had said, the epigenetics and how things are, are passed on. 
passing on joy is so much easier, but the thing that blocks it is some story that we can't. It's, it's some can't. story that we can't, right? And that story has many faces. So I'm just, yeah. I'm feeling into what you just shared and I'm like, oh my God, that's, it brings up joy for me. Like just, just thinking yeah. about him on the stage, like leading these people. And then I, I ask myself, okay, well, what blocks any of us from having our inner five-year-old come out and do a hula hoop contest or play, or just honestly have the courage to look stupid, right? You know what? Yeah. You know why he's so confident is because there's probably been lots of many moments. Actually today, today, Nova just broke a salt shaker. I made Carrie breakfast because she's pregnant again. I'm saying that right here on the show. Okay. Holy fuck. She, this is the first time the world on. knows just for the record. Come on. I don't know when this is going to go live, but Hey, like the world's got to know. Um, and he broke and I'm thinking about this. I made her breakfast and I'm thinking about this immediately. I felt, you know what I felt, George, I felt like that kind of anger where I was like, oh shit, he broke the salt shaker. And then in literally in a snap of fingers, I walked over to him. I said, it's okay, baby. It's okay. It's okay. And I picked him up, picked the glass out of his foot, swept up everything, did it like, you know, holding a baby in your arm and like sweeping. That's a, yeah. that's a task that parents need to master. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then gave her the breakfast. And I was like, wow, that was so different than how it was for me as well. Because mm -hmm. I have so many memories of like getting pounded on emotionally mm -hmm. where I would make mistakes. And instead of just saying like, oh, it's okay. I learned at some point to treat myself like that. I learned to be a dictator and a dominator in my own mind. And so that's why you and I having this conversation can be life-changing for someone really taking it in, like really listening to, to you and I right now. If they actually swallow and digest what you shared about your son and what I'm sharing, then that's how the world changes, dude. We're not going to change the world by having a new president in the office. That shit doesn't really matter. We're going to change the world by you and I talking about what we just talked about and feeling and feeling what we just felt. Like that, that's how yeah. we change oh, the bro. world. Oh, and, and, and before the last question, because here's the thing, the thoughts were there. These people paid me copious amounts of money to be in the room, to learn this. How am I going to do this? This affects my schedule. And I'm yeah. like, I can't you gotta do the hula hoop contest. Move. You got to do a hula Your hoop contest, so, right? So, yeah. Why not? And here's what's funny. There's people texting me pictures at home right now. Cause I all flew home two days ago and they're hula hooping with their kids. And they're like, Branson was the, and like those moments where to, to land this plane, I had no control. I had no agenda. It was just a surrender to the moment yeah. and being willing to breathe and to let it happen and being willing to take that risk yeah. and just saying, fuck it. What's the worst that happens? I can't call it. Let's play. Yeah. Let's play. Let's play. Let's play. And just so for everybody listening, so I can put a bow on this before I ask you the last question, Josh and I talked a lot about inner child work, about parenting ourselves, about being a parent. If you want the biggest secret to being an entrepreneur, apply these same principles to your team. Mm -hmm. Apply them to your customers. Find those joy, find those moments, because if you want the quote unquote secrets, no one's going to click on them because they're sexy, but you should click on them because they're the ones that work every single time. Because at the end of the day, there is no business, there is no transaction, there is no credit cards, there is no money, there's no nothing without the people that are running it. And all those people are incredible people. And so I would apply it across. So Josh, I got to ask you one last question and it is the final one. Yes. So you've seen men in black, yes, correct? Yes. So I want you to imagine in this moment that everybody listening to the podcast just got flashied in their eyes for the last 53 minutes and they have no memory. But in this moment, you have the ability to tattoo wisdom on their subconscious soul that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. What would your tattoo wisdom be? Whatever you think is not always true. Whatever you feel is a guidepost to lead you to your truth. So follow your feelings to your emotions. Your emotions are there to teach you something beautiful. Your emotions are there to guide you back home at all times. Your emotions are there to block all the incessant gathering of information that you're not loved or you're not good enough or all the things that you might feel or you may not. And just allow yourself to come back home and be in this beautiful body that God has gifted you, that the creator has gifted you. Because if you allow that to happen, if you go out right now, after you hear my voice and you say, I am loved, I am supported, I am on the right path, 
you tell yourself that for long enough and every cell in your body is going to believe it. And so that is what you take home in this moment right now and remember how you feel because your feelings are guiding you to the emotions that are pointing you back home at all times. You are loved, you are supported, and you are on the right path. What a gift that was, my friend. So for everybody listening, I have a requirement and it's to do whatever I say. And so what I say right now <laughs> is make sure you go check out Josh's podcast, his website. Josh, where's the best place for people to find your magic? Just go to joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. And then if you want to go deeper into the basics of breathing, not the esoteric crazy stuff, but the basics of practically how do you breathe, it's breathwork.io. Breathwork.io. And so for everybody listening, I don't know why you listen to this podcast, because if you don't click, I don't want you to anymore. No, I'm kidding. I love you, but you should go to joshtrent.com slash podcast. <laughs> And go to breathwork.io. Uh, Josh, what an honor. What a gift. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for serving me today, for serving my audience today, and sharing your wisdom. I have a feeling we will have round two and three and four and five coming up because I have about 185 open loops that I would like to unpack with you. Yes. So from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much, man. George, thank you, man. Thank you for altering my life in a beautiful way, in a positive way, truly in a positive way. Not everybody's like that. We come across people that alter our lives and it's always leading us back home, but sometimes people make the path a little bit easier. So, so thank you for being one of those men for me. And thank you for hosting this beautiful show and the way you ask questions and your curiosity and, and the way that you're a father and all the great things that have allowed us to have this today. Thank you for creating that space. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Well, for everybody listening, it's been another episode of the mind of George. So, so you will either see me in your eyeballs or you'll hear me in your earballs. but either way, it's time to cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.